Today I need you to turn in your Bibles, please, to Romans 6, 1 through 12. You may say, hey, I forgot my Bible. Look in the P-Rack. There are Bibles there. They're all in English. You can read them. So Romans 6, 1 to 12 is where we're going to be today. Our title today is Dead to Sin, Alive Through Christ. Dead to Sin, Alive Through Christ. Romans 6, 1 to 12. And here we go. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory uh, of the Father, we too may live a new life. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 8, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that Christ, that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In verse 11, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Let's pray together as we begin to unpack these passages. Father God, we thank you for your word. You have preserved it down through time so that today we can come together as a church family. We can open your word and we can be changed and shaped and remolded by it. We recognize, Lord, that that's what you're trying to do. We recognize, Father, that you have given your word to us today as to establish truth in our lives. And so, God, help us to be receptive to your truth. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Help us, Father, to be changed for having been here and opened your word. And we love you, Lord, in Christ's name. Amen. We go back to verse 1. The believer under grace and the problem of habitual sin. Verse 1 says, should we live a life of sin so that we can receive more grace? What should we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Paul introduces this idea because he wonders if some might say, hey, If I can get more grace just by sinning, why wouldn't I just sin more? Because God has already told me that his grace will be greater than my sin, that if my sin abounds, his grace will be more. Why not just do that? If God loves sinners, then why worry about sin? If God gives grace to sinners, then why not more and more, uh, sin more and more and receive more and more grace? If my job is to sin and God's job is to give me grace, then I'll just keep sinning and God will keep doing his job and giving me grace more grace. Now to you and me that sounds a little bizarre and a little absurd. It sounds contrary to what we know of of the scriptures and of God's grace. But listen to this. In the early part of the 20th century, century, there was a a, a Russian monk. His name was Gregory Rasputin. And he taught and lived this idea that salvation through repeated experiences of sin and repentance was a good thing. He believed that because those who sin the most require the most forgiveness— Therefore, a sinner who continues to sin without restraint enjoys more of God's grace than does the sinner who, uh, the the believer who only sins a little bit. 
Therefore, Rasputin was known to live a notorious, sinful life, and he taught others that this was the way to salvation. Now, this is obviously an extreme example of what Paul is talking about about here, but that's in the 20th century. Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. All of us who were baptized into Christ, I'm sorry, I went to page 3. That won't make any sense. But in a less extreme way, this question still confronts us today, doesn't it? Is the plan of grace safe, we might ask? Won't people abuse this concept of grace? If God's salvation and approval are given on the basis of faith instead of works, won't we just say, I believe, and then live any way we please? Don't you see some people trying to do that today? From a purely natural and secular viewpoint, grace really is dangerous. And this is why many people don't want to teach grace, or they don't want to go too far in their teaching and preaching on grace. Their concern is that they need to mix in a little bit of the law, mix in a little bit of the legalism. Be careful of this. When you hear a preacher preaching, and he uses the word should and oughta a lot, he may be teaching you from a legalistic perspective. He may not be teaching you from a grace perspective. And part of the issue there is he just doesn't trust his people to accept the grace of God and to understand it fully and to apply it fully in their lives and to give up on the guilt trip. God did not save you into a guilt trip. He saved you to new life, to eternal new life. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. I want you to understand, though, that when he says, shall we continue in sin, there's a verb tense there that makes this a little clearer for us, better, uh, easier to apply in our lives. That verb tense is for continuing sin is a present active tense. And what that means is you have taken on the practice of habitual sin. You have taken on a lifestyle of sin. And this is different, okay? This is different from what you and I experience every day. You and I are constantly trying to uh, live for Christ. We're constantly trying to please Christ. We're constantly trying to, to, to be on the right path, the straight and narrow. But what happens? We get tempted to sin and we sin. That's why we had a moment of confession a minute ago as John led us. And we have a confession every week. And you can have confession every single day and write that relationship with God. Put, put, put the stuff aside that's, that's, that's holding you back as you're trying to run this, this life, run this race with, with Christ Jesus. He's talking about a lifestyle of sin, not the sin that you trip up every once in a while. And as you're telling your story, you made yourself sound a little better than it really, you really are. Or whatever it is you might be doing. This is, this is different here. This is a lifestyle of sin, a present active tense. And he's saying, how can you do that? How can you continue in that life, that lifestyle of sin, knowing full well that you're under the grace of God? There's something wrong there. There's something wrong. That's what he's trying to point out to us. So let's look at verse 2. It says, A life of sin is, is unacceptable because our death to sin changes our relationship to sin. He says there, Certainly not. Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? His certainly not con, uh, statement there has an exclamation point next to it. And he says, By no means. He says, That's unthinkable. He says, Away with the notion. Perish the thought. That will not work. That is not truth. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now, this is a very important principle that he has opened for us, and we're going to see it unpack as we go forward here. But you just need to understand that you have been permanently changed. You have been permanently changed. And you might say, how have I been permanently changed? You went from death to life. You were in Adam, the one who brought death into the world, sin and death, 
And now you are in Christ, the one who brings life into the world. What life? Eternal life. And let me, let me just give you a little side note here. Eternal life began the day of your salvation. Okay, you're not waiting for eternal life. You're living it right now. The abundant life is now. It's now and forever. So don't miss that. But this is, this, you've been permanently changed, so you no longer live in that dead man uh, situation. You know, you're not the dead man anymore. You were dead in sin. Now you're dead to sin. Let's look at verses 3 and 4. This is the illustration of the believer's death to sin. And notice what that illustration is. It's our baptism. It's a beautiful picture. Only God can come up with something amazing like this. Listen to what he says. He says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now, Paul has a way of sort of humbling us. He says, Or do you not know? What that means is, you should know this. You should understand this, okay? Following me and my reasoning, you already have a concept of this. And he says, all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus. This word baptized, this Greek word baptized, means to immerse or to overwhelm something. And in Scripture, we see several applications of this, certainly with baptism. We are baptized in water. We are immersed or overwhelmed in water. But we also see that we are baptized in the Holy Spirit. We are immersed or overwhelmed in the Holy Spirit. Recently, one of my students asked me, what does it mean? And I have accepted Christ as my Savior, but the Bible says I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Shouldn't I be speaking in tongues? That's a fair question. It is. And Paul addresses this question at other places in Scripture. He says, I'd rather you do a thousand other things than speak in tongues, but if speaking in tongues is part of it, okay, but no. That's not the point here. You are immersed or you are overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit. How can you help but be overwhelmed with the Holy Spirit if he's living in you? That's pretty overwhelming, right? I I can't imagine a greater overwhelming. You're fully immersed in the Holy Spirit. We're also told, that was in uh, Matthew 3 and in in Acts 1, we, we, we discover this baptism of the Holy Spirit. But they're also baptized with suffering in Mark 10. What does that mean? immersed or overwhelmed with suffering and it has a purpose but they're immersed or overwhelmed this is that same word that we see here used baptism baptized into christ jesus let's go on therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as christ was raised uh, from the dead and what he's saying here that we are identifying with christ's death and we are identifying with christ's resurrection in that same moment Remember the day of your baptism. I don't know where it was, don't know when it was, but just think about that for a moment. It could be that somebody used a phrase something like that when you were baptized. You might have heard it, you might not have, because you might have been underwater. But you were buried in Christ's death, right? And you were raised to newness of life. You died. There was an old man who died, and new life came. And that's this beautiful picture of baptism. I love baptism. I love baptism from sitting right out there and watching you get baptized because it reminds me of that day when I was baptized. It reminds me of that day when I gave my life to Jesus Christ. But you know what I really gave him? I gave him my death. I gave my death to Jesus Christ, and he gave me new life. It reminds me of that. And I get this warm feeling when I watch you be baptized. It's wonderful. I hope you have that same experience. I hope you go back to that time, that moment when you went from death to life. 
What a rich and beautiful picture God gives us for this. We were buried with him as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. We too may live a new life. Paul builds on this idea of going under the water as a picture of being buried and then coming up from the water as rising from the dead. And again, God gives us this. It's a beautiful, beautiful illustration. It's a beautiful illustration of a spiritual reality, but you need to understand this. It does not make that reality come true, okay? It does or come to pass. That baptism doesn't save you. You are saved, and you express that. You express that. You demonstrate that. You reveal that to others as an illustration of what's already happened through your baptism. Paul's point is clear. Something dramatic and life-changing happened in your life, the life of a believer. You can't die and rise again without having your life changed. Your life is going to change. The believer has a real death and a real resurrection through Christ Jesus. Let's look at verses 5 to 10 now, concerning the implications of our death and resurrection with Christ Jesus. For if we have been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like this. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. It says we are united with him. This expression is a very close, close union. It's more than a close union. It's, in fact, it's a union that's greater than any words I can bring to you today. It is. Because this word is the same word, the same concept, the same idea that we use when we graft trees together. Where we actually cut into one tree and take a sprig from another and put it in that tree, and that sprig gets life from that tree. The nutrients coming up from the soil into that tree that is, it's, it's unnatural, right, that this other would gain, but it does. This is what happens in us. That is the closeness. This is the uniting we have in Christ. We see this again in John 15, 5, where we read, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And you know how it ends. For apart from me, you can do nothing. What happens if we cut that twig and we just lay it on the ground? We don't graft it into that tree. It can do nothing. It has no life until it's grafted into that tree. That is us. That is what Paul says. We are in Christ. This close union, however, is both a death and a resurrection. Christ died and was resurrected. God has given both experiences to us. Paul expressed a similar idea in his own life when he says in Philippians 3, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. They come together, folks. You have to die. The old man has to die for there to be new life in Jesus Christ. Some are all too ready to be united in the glory of Christ's resurrection, but they're unwilling to be united in his death. The old man has to die. Let's go on. Certainly, 
Paul says, certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. His participation in the death of Jesus makes our participation, I'm sorry, our participation in the death of Jesus makes our participation in his resurrection certain. If we participated in his death and God left us dead, what is that? Aren't we in this because God gave us life? He wants our life to be the life he chose for us, which is, by the way, the best life, the life that God chose for you, certainly. He couldn't leave you dead. He gives you life. So these come together. We, we know that our old self was crucified with him. And the old man that was patterned after Adam with sin and rebellion against God and against his commands, that separated us from God. But God shows up and brings new life. The system of law was unable to deal with the old man. You know why? Because the law existed for one person. One purpose, I'm sorry. For one purpose. The law existed simply to reveal to us how far we had gone from God. How much we do not deserve God. How far we are uh, in our sin. How desperate we are for God to, to save us. To bring uh, salvation to us. We look at the righteous standard of God, the law, and we say, Man, I am undone. I am broken. I have no hope apart from Jesus Christ. The law tries to reform the old man, right? Think about it this way. The law says to the old man, you need to turn over a new leaf. You need a fresh start. That's what the law does. How many new leaves are you going to turn over? How many fresh starts are you going to get? It's just not what God did. God put the old man to death because he knew the old man could never be reformed. He must be put to death. We must participate in the death of Jesus, the old man dying on the cross with Jesus. The crucifixion of the old man is something that God did in us. None of us nailed ourselves to a cross. God did this. Jesus did this. Listen to this. Theologian Linsky says this. In us, there was nothing even to sicken or weaken our old man, much less to murder him by crucifixion, God had to do this because it had to be done. So in place of the old man, God gives the believer a new man. You and me, we get a new man, a self that now is bent toward God. We now have instincts to obey God. We have instincts to bring honor and glory to God, and it feels good when we do it, doesn't it? This is where we've been raised with Christ in his resurrection. And the New Testament describes the new man for us in a few different ways. In, a, uh, in Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, we see where we're created according to God in righteousness and true holiness. Listen to this. It says, You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And, and you ready for this? To be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. I love to point this out to my Sunday school class and to my D groups and to other friends. I think this is so wonderful. Go all the way back to the beginning when God created us. God created me, you. God created man, and he liked it, and it was good. And he said, I created them in my image. I created them to be like me. Yes, we go away and we are not like him in our sin. We're separated from God and his righteousness and his holiness. We go our way. Every man goes his way. We do not choose God. But 
It doesn't change the fact that God created us in his likeness to be like him. In the image of God, he has created us. And you know that God works from that point forward to get back to that? Did you bring you back into the image of God? To bring, what does that look like? Righteousness and holiness. You ever pray and say, God, today, it's going to be a tough day. Would you help me to be patient and kind? Would you help me to be strong? Would you protect me and provide for me? All these things are the attributes of God that God wants you to get back to, to be like him, like your creator. And we go on, that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Done away with. God uses our, the, our death to the old man, the sin nature, to liberate us from sin. A dead man can no longer have authority over us. So we are to remember the account of the old man, and we are to crucify him. We're to crucify him. Now, the two other places in the New Testament which mention the old man remind us to consider him as done away with, to tell us to put off the old man as something dead and gone. And that's in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. And strictly speaking, we don't battle the old man. We simply say, he's dead. He comes, up to, my, he comes to mind and we say, that guy's dead. He's dead. He's no longer with me. He's dead. I have new life in Jesus Christ because he has been done away with. The old man's dead. You ready for this? Because this is what you've been asking the whole time I've been up here speaking. Andy, if the old man's dead, why do I pull, feel this pull towards sin inside me? Isn't that what you've been asking the whole time? I don't know who Andy's describing, but that ain't me. Well, let's talk about that. Because you need to hear the truth. Here's the truth. That's the flesh. Our inner being has desires and impulses and passions and these are played out in our mind and in our will and our emotions, and that's the flesh. And that, that flesh is what acts out in the inner man. But listen to this. The flesh is a problem in the battle against sin because it has been expertly trained in sinful habits by three sources. And when you know this, you can have freedom from the old man. First, the old man, before he was crucified with Christ, trained and imprinted himself on the flesh. I'm sorry, but that's you. That's me for the rest of time. You have an imprint of that sinfulness on your life for all time, right? Otherwise, when you became a Christian, when you accepted Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, two things should have happened. One, you be, should have become sinless, and two, you should have gone on to heaven because that's, that's what heaven's going to be like, right? There's no sin there. That didn't happen. God left you here, and you have an imprint of that old sin, that old man on you. Okay, on your flesh. Second, the world system. The world system in its spirits of rebellion against God can have a continuing influence on our flesh. I didn't have to tell you that, did I? It's all around you every day. I mean, you see the world around you and you realize it's broken and occasionally that's enticing. You look over it and go, well, they're having fun. That looks okay. What's the big deal? That's, what the, that's, that's the broken world around you communicating to you all the time. That's the world system. And by the way, one day, there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. And there'll be a new system. And it's going to be great. It's not going to be like this. But the third one, just as important as the first two, is the devil. Can't leave him out of this, can we? The devil is doing his job. 
He's doing what comes natural to him to tempt you away from God, to influence you towards sin. It didn't stop the day you accepted Christ, did it? Nope. He keeps showing up. Say, Andy, what if you did this? That looks like fun. What if we... And, 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 and so it's a good question. You know, why do I continue to feel this pull inside? Well, there are real reasons for that. Those are the things that are going on all around you all the time. The world system is real. That old flesh imprinted upon the old man imprinted upon your flesh is, flesh is real the devil is real so with the old man dead what do we do with this flesh in this scenario we just painted well God calls us in participation with him to actively but day by day with the flesh that, that uh, uh, the, with the flesh just what he has already done with the old man and that is to crucify it to make him dead dead to sin make you and me dead to sin put that guy to death but when we allow the flesh to continually influence us by the old man's habits of the past by the world by the devil that flesh will exert a powerful pull on us but if we let the new man within us influence us influence our mind and our will and our emotions then we will find the battle much less intense and you ready for this it can become less and less intense that is called your sanctification, or maybe a, a word that's a little easier for you is your maturity. This is another thing, another topic I really enjoy trying to teach folks. And that is when I was a new Christian, my life was, I'm saved, but there's all this sin I'm still dealing with. The allure is bright and brilliant, but it fades over time as I learn to walk with God. And over time, I'm maturing, and I'm becoming more and more and more like God in my actions and my attitudes, my actions and reactions, more and more and more like God. Now, I'd like to tell you that this goes all the way out here until Andy is ready for heaven. That's not how it works. Andy dies somewhere in this process. Could be here, okay? Could have been back here, could be here. But Andy never gets to the point where I've earned heaven. That's not the point, okay? We're talking about maturity. We're talking about becoming more and more like God. Who's doing the work here? God's finishing the work that he began in you. He is growing and maturing you. Some of you need a simpler visual for this, and so I'm going to give it to you. I don't mean you're not smart. It just helps to have a simpler vision. So here we go. God is walking along a path. That path is the narrow way, and it is straight. God's walking along. Guess who's walking with him? You are. But like a small puppy... You are running over there because you smelled something. And you dash over here and you go check it out. And God's like, hey, 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 hey. Come back over here. Let's get back on the path. Just walk in this straight path. And you run off the other side because you heard something. And you run over there and check that out. And God says, hey, 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 hey. Let's just let's get back on the path. You just walk with me. Everything's going to be all right. And you do this your whole life, right? But as you mature, some of you have dogs. As that dog matures, he doesn't take... 90 yards off the path to go find something. He kind of stays with you, doesn't he? He's not perfect. He'll smell something. He'll drift off a little bit, and you go, hey, hey, hey. Hey, hey, hey. Get back on the path with me. That's maturity. That's growth. That's your sanctification. That's God making you more like him. And your actions and your reactions become more second nature. Not to the point that you are in heaven, but you're growing in this. I like to tell people that I think that's pretty cool. And he says that we should no longer be slaves of sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
Our slavery to sin can only be broken by death. Some of you are old enough to remember a movie, 1960 Spartacus, Kirk Douglas. Some of you are going, what's he talking about? Kirk Douglas played an escaped slave, Spartacus, and he led a brief but widespread slave rebellion in ancient Rome in the movie. And at one time in the movie, Spartacus makes this statement. He says, death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he's not afraid of it. We're set free from sin because the old man has died with Jesus. And a new man has come. A free man has come. He's no longer a slave to sin. You really can put to death this guy every single day. You really can nail him to the cross. You really can become more and more like God in his attributes, his attitudes, and his actions. You really can. And you really want to. Let's finish this in verses 11 to 12. Practical application of the principle of our death and our resurrection with Jesus. He says, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. That's one part of it. But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. This reckoning, this concept of reckoning is very important in Scripture. Reckoning is an accounting word. You've heard other men stand right here and explain this to you before. This reckoning is where God has, has stamped, when you come to Christ, he stamps your account and he says, paid in full, paid with the righteousness of God, covered, eradicated, removed. I don't see sin when I look at your account anymore. I see Christ and his death, burial, and resurrection. I see you filled with the righteousness of God. That's that reckoning. That's that stamp. Here we see that God's telling us to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. This accounting word applies here. That, that Paul tells us to account or reckon the old man as forever dead. Forever dead. God never calls us to crucify the old man. Jesus did that. Jesus paid that price. We just participate in that death. Instead, he says, to account him as already dead as you identify with Jesus' death on the cross. Reckon yourselves to be alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So this death to sin is only one side of this equation. The old man is gone, but the new man lives on Romans 6, 4, we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too live a new life. We are alive. This message today is not about death. This message today is about life. Yes, we had to die. The old man had to die to make room for the new man, the new life. This life in Christ and as a result of this, therefore, he says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. This is something that can only be said to a Christian. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. If the old man has died, has been crucified with Christ, then this can be true. 
Christ has been given a new man. I'm sorry, through Christ we've been given a new man. And we are that man right now. We are to live that life right now. We are to experience that eternal life right now because the old man has died. There is a challenge. There is a charge from God. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body because that's going to mess things up. It's going to distract you. It's going to make you think, am I saved today? On Sunday? On Tuesday? Am I saved That's the devil's lie. He's trying to distract you. Do not let sin reign in your mortal body. And by the way, giving an ear to the devil is sin. So just don't do it, okay? He's a liar and a deceiver. Only the person set free from sin can be told, do not let sin reign. In Jesus, we are truly set free. And we're offered the opportunity to obey the natural inclination of the new man. Or maybe we should say the supernatural inclination of the new man. You know, that new man just wants to please God, just wants to honor God. And it feels so good. Therefore, do not let sin reign. This old man is dead. And you've been given new life, free from sin. And it's in Jesus. But you know, many Christians never experience this kind of freedom. They don't. They live with unbelief. They live with self-reliance. They live in ignorance. They never live this freedom that was bought for them on the cross. Jesus giving his life to put the old man to death and to bring new life to you and to me. Lots of Christians live right there every day. They've been legally set set free from the slavery to sin, but they're unsure of this truth. And I believe, surely, these are some of the most frustrated people on the planet. I want you to understand that Jesus died on the cross paying for your sins. Yes, that's true. But there was more at work there. The old man can die. He can be done away with. New life can come. And that new life is every moment of every day. You just have to keep looking to Jesus. Keep looking to Jesus. I'm I'm ignoring the old man. He keeps trying to say, I'm imprinted on your flesh. Hey, look at the broken world around you. The devil says this. And I just keep looking at Jesus and saying, same thing Jesus said. I'm just going to do what the Father said. And I don't do anything outside the Father. I'm just going to do what the Father said. We just keep looking at Jesus going, I'm just going to do what the Father said. You keep doing what the Father said. And you will grow in this relationship with him. And you become more and more like him through your sanctification and your maturity. And it is good. Let's pray together. Father God, we love you and we praise you. Lord, only you could come up with something like this. Only you could look at us in our horrible, rebellious state and say, oh, but I love them. And through my grace and my mercy, I will save them. And I will give them what they desperately need, life, because they are dead. Thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you, Father, for bringing us into that right relationship with you where we can grow to become more like you. We know, Lord, that you're working in us to perfect what you've begun, and we thank you for that. Father God, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here today and proclaim your word, and I pray, God, that you would now take that word and burn it into our hearts and our minds so that we can go be what you desire, living for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.